This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson! Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. Brian is still away on vacation. He's been gone forever, right? But never fear, I've got a great guest taking his place, Peter Harling, managing editor for Dauber Prospects and co-host of the Dauber Prospects Radio Podcast. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Thanks so much for having me on, Elon. I love the show, and uh, it's a real buzz to be on. Yeah, thanks so much, Peter. You're like one of our go-to people when it comes to prospects. We basically have Cam Robinson, who we talked to earlier in the summer, and then you you have your own podcast all about prospects, and also you're like one of the main editors of the Dauber Prospects Guide, right? Which I have open here that I'll be referencing throughout our talk to make sure I don't say anything too dumb. <laughs> yeah, I, I contribute to that for sure. I do the, um, the draft-eligible prospects. Well, good. Those are the people we care about the most anyways. At least here on Keeping Carlson, I know maybe some people would love to learn about more of the people that aren't going to be in the league for a couple of years, but that's what your podcast is for. We like to talk about the guys who might make an impact as soon as next year, and that's what we'll get into today. The plan is I'm just going to run as many players by you as I can that I think could potentially be in the Calder race, could potentially be fantasy relevant in the next season. So I'm really curious to see how many players I can get through before you get annoyed at me and decide to end the call. <laughs> Sounds good. And I guess before we get into it, let's mention that we are presented, I guess both of our podcasts are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the best fancy hockey website out there. They're working hard all summer long. You think it's middle of August, no one's talking about fancy hockey. You're getting new articles every day on Dabber Hockey. Plus, they've released, obviously, this prospects guide, which already went out like in July, I think. And now they've dropped their actual fantasy guide for next season, including full projections and write-ups on a whole bunch of players and teams. I'm going to be referencing this also throughout the podcast. Maybe I could throw in a couple of projections. I don't want to give too much away you got to go in and buy the guide, but it's definitely worth it. If you want to win your league, you need to stock up on all of the various Dauber guides and read all of their articles on their website. Yeah, you know what? Actually, right now, we do uh, in the summer is when Dauber Prospects gets really busy. People start researching prospects for their upcoming drafts. And we do uh, a summer series in July and August. In the August, uh, so it's a every team gets an article per day from that team writer. Um, and the focus in August uh, 31 and 31 is teams prospects organizational overview. So we do an updated top 10 ranking. Uh, we do a prospect depth chart. We do prospects that are on the rise, people who are on the brink of making the NHL, maybe some prospects whose value has been slipping 
Um, so if you're you know looking for who might be the next guy on a certain team, uh, those are the articles on Dauber Prospects that you want to read. All right, so you got DauberHockey.com, Dauber Prospects. There's Fantasy Hockey Geek, which I don't get into too often, but I use that as a big tool. I guess, Peter, let's just get into things. Let's do it. I guess let's get into it. I want to talk about players who I think might be potential Rookie of the Year candidates. Afterwards, you could probably give me a whole list of people that I totally forgot about. But I guess we have to start at the top. We've got Nico Hishir and Nolan Patrick, the first two players drafted this year. I'm assuming these would be the front runners to be Rookie of the Year this year, the types of players that people are going to be drafting in their fantasy drafts, even for one-year leagues. So I'm curious to know what you think about what impact they can make this year, and then also, you know, their general fantasy value for years to come. Did you agree with the Devils picking Nico Hishir first overall? Or did you think maybe Patrick... Patrick was like the front runner it seemed like at the beginning of the year and then he sheer just like totally jumped past him yeah patrick has been ranked number one for like two years now going into this draft and i would say right up until probably the playoffs he was still the consensus number one and it wasn't until right around the season was ending in the playoffs that it got really fuzzy and really dicey as to who could be number one as a bit of a coin toss i think he sure has the better fantasy upside and uh, Patrick could possibly have the better, you know, real-world NHL upside. Bah, who cares about that? Yeah, uh, you know what really bothers me, though, and I do care about, is his tendency to get injured. Um, he's really been injured a lot lately. Now, none of the injuries he has are really red flag raising. It's not like he's got three concussions already, or he's not like he's had serious surgery on his knees, or he's got a bad back. Like, those can be career-rendering injuries he's just had you know little things sports hernia you know he got sick uh, you know little stupid little things like that, that that on the grand scheme of things don't mean anything but he's had so many of them so frequently over the last year that it is starting to become a bit of a concern because it's no good if he's not playing but for Heisher, i really like Heisher's fantasy uh upside i think uh it really marks the dawn of a new era in New Jersey. You know, they've long been this defensive-minded team uh, played to their strengths. They had Berger and Stevens and Niedermeyer and Danico and Rafalski. You build around that. Well, those guys are all long gone. Corey Schneider's still an excellent goalie, but their defense is arguably the worst in the NHL. Like, theirs and in, in Colorado's are, are pretty awful. So drafting Heischer first overall is, is a sign to me that they're turning the page and they're looking to be a more offensive, relevant team, which means they'll be more fantasy relevant as well. So I think that's that bodes well. Um, and I think Heischer's going to have a much better initial year than Patrick. Uh, I think Heischer could play uh, probably second-line center. He'll start in the NHL. Um, my forecast for him would be in the 35 to 40 point range. Kind of, you know, kind of modest, but he is a rookie. Kid's 18. Um, and then his long-term upside, I would put at least in the 80 point range. Wow, 80 point range is huge. But also I'd say 35 to 40 point range for next year is barely fantasy relevant in a lot of leagues. Obviously, you're used to being in prospects leagues and dynasty leagues where you're holding guys for a long, long time. Then yeah, grab him for sure for that upside. For next year, it's interesting because we're, we've gotten spoiled, right? McDavid and Matthews, we've had these first picks having huge fantasy value in their first season. Austin Matthews scored 40 goals last year, which was huge. And you're thinking just 40 points overall for his year. I guess it kind of depends to me on where he's going to slot in in the lineup. You say second line center. I thought he was listed as a winger. You don't think there's a chance he could play with Taylor Hall and say uh, Zaka or Henrik or Travis Zajac on line one? Uh, there's a chance in anything, of course. But yeah. Uh, yeah, and you make a good point that um, he is a center. That's the position that he's that he's always played. 
but he'd be a little bit more insulated as a rookie playing on the wing. There's a lot less responsibility. Um, he could get more defensive zone starts if he's a little weak on draws for NHL standards to start as well. Uh, so those are some things to take in consideration, but his natural position is a center, and I think that's where he plays long term. Okay, interesting. All right, so I'm guessing you don't have Hishir as your top Rookie of the Year candidate. Maybe I'll try to guess as we go along who's the one who you think it's going to be. And then so Nolan Patrick, you're saying, has less fantasy value than Hishir. Are you, is that include for next year as well? Like, do you also see Patrick as being like a 35-40 point guy, assuming he could stay healthy? I know you raised these concerns. I feel like with him, it's all about that top power play on Philly. That would be huge for him if he could take Braden Shen's vacant spot. And if not, it might be tough. Though, you know, there are some good players for him to play with even at even strength. Yeah, um, so here's the thing with Patrick. He is, he's also a center. And I think what's going to happen with him is, is he'll, he'll break the year in. Um, he'll make the team out of training camp, but it'll be as the fourth line center. You got Giroux and Couturier, one, two. Um, Philadelphia's been pretty clear about their love affair with Phil Pillow when they acquired him. They said it was not someone we're going to expose in the expansion draft. We, we got him because we, we believe in him. So I don't think he'll be able to usurp him as the third line center to start the year. So a similar scenario with Austin Matthews last year. He made the American World's Championship roster. Um, he was a late addition. He started on the fourth line. But by the tournament, it was over. Austin Matthews was USA's number one center. In the final game that they played, they had a face-off uh, in overtime in the offensive zone, and they put him out, and he had a helmet malfunction. So he had to either get off the ice or get him a helmet. So rather than you know swap him with an NHL roster player on their bench, they gave him someone else's helmet and said, get back out there. Um, and then he broke into the NHL on the Leafs. He wasn't the first-line center right away, but it didn't take him long to play his way into Mike Babcock's number-one center position. So I think Nolan Patrick is going to have to try and do the same thing. He's going to start off as, as the fourth-line center, and he's going to have to play his way up the roster and start outplaying NHL veterans like Philpola and Couturier and play his way on to the power play unit. And it's possible, but the key for him is he's going to have to be healthy to do that. As an 18-year-old playing in the NHL, you can't play three or four games and then you know miss two weeks because whatever, you tweaked a muscle or you got a boo-boo, and then jump back into the NHL. It, that that age, your development, really requires consistent play and big minutes. So if he's playing sparingly, if he gets scratched, if he's playing only 10 minutes a game, if he's getting injured a lot, I wouldn't even rule out the possibility that he gets sent back to junior for his final year of junior. Oh, damn. That would definitely piss off a lot of fantasy players who decide to roll the dice and draft him. Man, so we have upside of potentially being on the top power play if he could play his way up to there and downside of potentially getting sent down to the minors. I guess that's what you get when you're playing with prospects. So I'm curious to ask you then, we could talk maybe about also some guys who were rookies last year. I still like to consider these guys prospects. They haven't broken out yet. And so we're talking about Nolan Patrick makes me wonder about a guy like Travis Konechny, who I think you talked to me about last year when we talked around the same time. Do you see him as being someone who can take another step next season, maybe be more valuable in fantasy than Nolan Patrick, at least in the short term? Yes, absolutely. I think uh, Travis Konechny has a really strong opportunity to take claim on the first left uh, wing line, or maybe the second. It's going to come down to, I don't know, between him and Jordan Wheel, probably. The Simmons and Voracek are both on the right side. He's got an opportunity there, for sure. And uh, I'd put him down for 40 points if he can crack a top six left left wing line. 
Yeah, I guess it's tough to decide which young player to go with. Nolan Patrick obviously has the buzz right now, but Konechny does have that one year of experience. I guess you could say the same thing in New Jersey with Pavel Zaka. Maybe he's the one that you should be eyeing. Everyone's going to be excited to draft Nico Hishier. And again, I'm talking about one-year leagues in particular, just I'm talking about next year. I think a lot of people are going to grab Hishier since he was the first overall pick. Do you see Pavel Zaka as someone who might be the one that slots in beside Taylor Hall and gets more offensive opportunities in year one? I don't know. I think uh, I think Zaka's going to have a little bit more time to pay his dues on that roster, he's going to struggle to get top six roster spot. I mean, if you look at the Devils roster, they acquired uh, Marcus Johansson. You got Zajac and Hall, Henrique. I think he shares a lock for the top six, Kyle Palmieri. So he's going to have to, you know, he's a versatile. He can play center or the wing. And I think New Jersey would like him on the wing, to be honest. That's just my gut feeling on that. So he's, He's got a, a really hard task compared to Konechny to crack a top six opportunity on the wing. I think Zaka plays third or fourth line for the most part this year, um, upside of 40 points. But, you know, if you're in a keeper league, he, you, know, you only keep partial of your keepers, you know, like 12 players per team or whatever. He would be a bubble player because he's got pretty good upside, um, 50, 60 point range at least. But for this year, I would temper expectations. Okay, fair enough. Okay, since we're talking about New Jersey and Philly, I know we've got so many more players to talk about. I'm curious to get your updated thoughts on Ivan Provorov over in Philly. Last year, we talked about how you thought he would make the roster and be an impact guy. He obviously was. He was a really strong player on the team. He ended up getting more minutes than Ghost Bear, and he didn't end up stealing the top power play job for the majority of the season, though Ghost Bear did struggle. Now going into this season, what's your outlook for that Philadelphia D? Do you see Provorov potentially bumping Shane Gossespierre this season? Or do you think it's still going to be Gossespierre on the top power play and Provorov would be like a really solid guy for peripherals and maybe 30 to 35 points? Yeah, Gossespierre's his bread and butter is, is offense. So I think the top power play unit is his as long as he's healthy. Um, I don't think anyone on Philadelphia's blue line is going to usurp him in the top power play unit. However, I would say Provorov is, is clearly their number one defenseman. Uh, so he'll play more minutes on a nightly basis. Um, he'll play second unit power play. He'll play shorthanded. Yeah. So depending on your league, Provorov will get you a lot more value in peripheral categories as well. Ghost Bear is just, just power play points, shots, all offensive numbers with, with Ghost Bear. Uh, so I think it's going to be pretty much status quo. I don't off the top of my head know how many points Provorov scored last year, but... He had 30 points in 82 games. All right, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go crazy on on upping that. I'd say the 40 point range. The the offense will be Ghost Bear specialty. Well, still, even if Provorov could get up to 40 points, and like you said, those peripherals are pretty strong. He had 166 blocks, over 100 hits, a decent number of shots for a defenseman. So yeah, if he could get that power play time, that would be great. Even if not, he's like a really strong prospect, maybe one of the best prospect defensemen out there. I don't know if you still consider Provorov a prospect defenseman, but maybe let's keep him bookmarked. And when we get to some more defensemen, I could ask you how they compare to Provorov in terms of fantasy value as of now. But okay, I'm ready to move on to another team. Let's go to the team where maybe we could spend the whole rest of the episode because they have so many prospects and rookies gotta go to arizona a lot of buzz around a few of their guys lately though i feel like the guy i've been hearing the most is clayton keller he had a really good what was it the world championships is that what it was called the tournament that happens during the playoffs yeah yeah so he apparently blew everyone away he was the coyotes seventh overall pick in the 2016 draft and i've been seeing a lot of people projecting clayton keller i know cam robinson included as a potential rookie of the year candidate what do you think of him are you buying into the hype for clayton keller for next season i am I am. I think uh, 
Arizona Coyotes are positioned to do this coming season what the Toronto Maple Leafs did last season. And that's take a humongous step forward, uh, all with the strength of their prospects and rookies. The Leafs had uh, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, and uh, on defense, the Russian import, Zaitsev. Gardner and Riley are also really young, and they, and they really got good value out in their goaltending, which made a huge difference as well. But um, the goaltending and, and their, their rookie forwards are what turned the fortunes of Toronto around. So this year, Arizona, I'm not sure if Anthony Ranta can do as well as Frederick Anderson, but I'm pretty sure their forwards are, are going to be pretty comparable to what the Leafs did last year. And you look at guys like Clayton Keller, Dylan Strome, Christian Fisher, Radek Dvorak, oh, sorry, Christian Dvorak, uh, Max Domi, Anthony DeClaire. Hey, they've got a plethora of, of high-end offensive talented prospects. Yeah, and plus they brought in Derek Stefan, and they've got Oliver ekman Larson on defense, so it's a good number of potential offensive contributors. Sounds like you're pretty high on this prospect group, though. Yeah, um, I, I certainly am. I think uh, you'd be hard not to consider Clayton Keller uh, a Calder candidate at the very least. I think uh, if you look at where he's going to position in the roster this year, um, as you mentioned, they acquired Derek Stepan. Uh, so I think for this year, he's going to be their number one center. Uh, he'll play a little bit more minutes in more situations, offensive and, and defensive zone situations as well. But Clayton Keller, I have him down as second line center. And, uh, you know, rookie scoring is really hard to predict. Um, a nice safe projection for a rookie is is 30 points. Uh, it's you need an elite player to come into the NHL as a rookie and really explode. So I'm going to modestly project Clayton Keller at 40 points. That's kind of a minimum, I think. But with upside for more. Upside for more. And long term, you're looking at a guy who could push the 90 point barrier at the prime of his career. Holy cow. So basically like a top guy in the league if he's getting that high. That's right. He's all about offense. Ah, so another Shane Gosis bear, except playing... Are you saying center? I'm looking at the Dauber guide now. They've got a projected lineup for next season. They have Keller on the left wing on a line with Dvorak and Duclair, but obviously there's no way to know until the season starts. Is this a similar situation as Heeshear, where you think it's possible that whoever wrote the Arizona section of the Dauber guide is thinking that he'll start as a winger to get eased into the league? Yeah, it's a possibility. Um, or, you know, he's uh, he's only 5'10". So unless he's really strong on draws, maybe they decide that uh, he's just too small to play down the middle for the NHL. Uh, he's a puck distributor, though, so he's effective as a center, and that's been his natural position uh, in in college uh, for the most part. Uh, so but being versatile and able to play both center and wing, multi-positional eligibility is, is a real bonus in fantasy hockey. So uh, I put him down as a center just because that's where I'm used to seeing him play, but there's certainly an opportunity for him to, to play on the wing. And they've got other guys like Strom. If Strom can can really evolve and make the Coyotes roster and be a, a relevant player as a rookie in the NHL, then that makes it a lot easier for them to juggle their lines and, and gives them more options and could possibly put Keller on the wing, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and also that would be great news for a guy like Antti Ranta if Arizona's all of a sudden getting all of this depth that they're not used to having. So aside from Clayton Keller, who you're saying 40-point floor, upside for more, which is good. I feel like that's the kind of guy who you could draft near the end of your draft in a one-year league 
and then just hope for a lot. And if not, at least you're getting something while you're waiting. Is there anyone else who you see as being potentially fantasy relevant next season, like Dylan Strom or Christian Dvorak or Christian Fisher? I guess those are the guys you've mentioned. Do you see any of them making an impact next year? Or do you think all of them should be left for the free agent list until someone grabs them? I know you're used to being in Prospects League, so I'll just, yeah, but you know what I'm saying for next year. I'm thinking of the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, and I don't mean to buzz market our fantasy league here, but you know, in that league, it's a one-year league, so I guess that's what's on my mind right now. But yeah, for next year, what do you think about the rest of these prospects on Arizona? It's just, you know, it's it's a bit of a crapshoot with prospects, and, and they're all so young, so they could all be really great, and everything could click and go really well for them. And the NHL is a young man's league these days, and it's all about speed and skill, and that's what that's what these guys are. They're they're speedy and they're skill, uh, they're dynamic offensive players. So the upside is is there. So these are modest projections, but I think Strom is a third line center, could be a thirty point guy. You could be looking at Christian Fisher as a third line center or left winger and have twenty five points. But that's a modest projection. It could easily be 35 points. You also got guys like Brendan Perlini that you have to look at as well. He's a player that, that is probably going to make the roster for the majority of the season, at least, if not the whole season. He played 57 games last year and had 21 points. Uh, so the Coyotes got a lot of options. You could pick one of these guys, and you could pick the right guy, and he clicks with a certain player, and, and they have some chemistry, and together they play on the first line. Or you could pick a guy, and he doesn't click, and he ends up playing half the season in the AHL and the other half on the Coyotes third or fourth line with no power play. Yeah, that's true. Well, Perlini actually is an interesting maybe sleeper because I recall last year after Hansel got traded, Perlini was getting a lot of power play time at the end of the year. I wonder if that will translate forward, though there's these new guys like Keller and Strom and Christian Fisher and Christian Dvorak, you know, any of them could take that time. So it's hard to put too much stock into Brendan Perlini. But anyways, yeah, it's very exciting. If you're an Arizona Coyotes fan, I feel like finally you have a reason for hope also you know, with Oliver ekman Larson's hand injury hopefully all fixed, he should maybe get back to being the shot-taking defenseman that he was for those few years before. I'm excited about Arizona. I kind of think that Antti Ranta is a bit of a sleeper pick for next year. I don't think a lot of people are thinking about him, though. I guess I've already said this on the podcast, so I don't think I'm going to be getting him in any of my leagues, unfortunately. Maybe you can. Okay, another guy that I know Cam was really excited about, so I wanted to see if you feel the same way. Potentially another... Calder candidate Brock Besser over in Vancouver. He had a small cup of coffee in the league at the end of last season, and he got right up there playing on the power play with the Sedins. Do you see him as being a guy that can make a big impact next year? Yeah, without question. Um, he's, he's already 20 years old, uh, put up, I think, four goals in nine games in his audition at the end of the season, as you mentioned. He's, he's been a dominant player at every level he's played, contributed immediately to the NHL, He's got size, he's got speed, he can score. I think he's going to... I think the Sedins are going to slip off Vancouver's first line if that didn't already happen last year. And uh, I think Brock Besser is going to be their first line right winger. And I think 40 points is a very realistic projection for him as a floor. Um, upwards of 50 points. And I think his long-term value could be um, in the 70-80 point range with 30-goal score. Wow, it sounds like you're even maybe a little more optimistic about Besser next year than Clayton Keller, or maybe around the same. I guess for both, you said around a 40-point floor. Hmm, so if the Sedins aren't on the top line, I guess we're looking at Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, and I don't know, someone that you throw in there. It's not as if Vancouver has a ton of depth. Maybe a Sven Berchi or... Oh, I guess they signed Sam Gagne, but he's he's not a top-line guy. It'll be interesting to see what they do after the line with the Sedins. I'm so used to on this podcast just being like, who's going to play with the Sedins? That guy might have some value. That obviously didn't happen last year, and maybe now it won't even be an issue next year. They'll be who's playing with Bo Horvat and Brock Besser. Yeah, 
yeah, that'll be the that'll be the money spot for sure. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, so who would you like better at this point for next year and for the future between Besser and Clayton Keller? In a one-year league, I, this coming season, I think I take Brock Besser. He's a year older and he's got a little bit more experience under his belt. But I take Clayton Keller long term. So that's obviously the tough thing for people who are maybe going to be drafting a new keeper league next year. It's like, do you go for the present with a little bit less upside? Always a tough thing to struggle against. Okay, let's go now. We talked about Arizona, and we also talked about New Jersey, who you said had the worst defense in the league. So speaking of bad teams, let's go to maybe the worst team in the league last year and a team that not many people are very excited about for next year, Colorado. But they do have this prospect who they drafted a couple years ago, Tyson Jost, who I've been hearing his name shot around as someone who might be able to make an impact next season. I remember last year, a lot of people were excited about Miko Rantanen. And I guess you could say it was a disappointment like Ranson only had 39 points in 75 games but considering that Colorado just stopped scoring goals near the end of the year like guys like Duchesne and Landeskog were doing nothing the guys who you thought Ranson would do really well with he ended up playing pretty well with McKinnon right at the end of the year so I'm curious to know your thoughts on Ranson I'm still considering him a prospect and also Tyson Jost do you think both of these guys are top six guys who could potentially get some points is there any offense to be had from these Colorado prospects next season yeah for sure um so Tyson Jost he really impressed me with Team Canada at the U18s when he played there. Um, he's just a dynamic offensive player, and he's very responsible defensively. Uh, I think he's got uh, a really great long-term upside career. I think this year he's going to probably play uh, second-line center. There's no way he's going to pass Nathan McKinnon, who's a first overall pick and an NHL veteran at this point. Um, but there's not much else behind him that could, that should really prevent him from playing top six minutes on the second line in Colorado. And, uh, and he should get a look at some second unit power play time as well, in my opinion. I think, uh, as a rookie, he's probably going to be in the 45 to 50 point range. Wow. He had, uh, yeah, he had six games in the NHL last year, um, scored his first career goal. I mean, Colorado is a bit of a train wreck. Uh, not really sure what's going on there. They've got a terrible defense, so his plus minus. If you have, if you're still in a league that carries plus minus, that might be a detriment <laughs> to his value. But uh, I'm I'm a really big fan of Tyson Jost, and I own him in one of my leagues. Ah, cool. So maybe you're just biased. Okay, so who would you rather have between Jost and Miko Rantanen next year and long term? It depends on your scoring formats. Miko Rantanen is uh, is a different kind of a player, and he'll get you a lot more of the peripheral uh, bangers and mash stats than Tyson Jost will. So if you're just in a <laughs> If you're just in a points-only league, I'd probably lean, even if it's a one-year league, I'd still probably take Miko Ranton, and I think he's got opportunity to play first-line units with Nathan McKinnon, uh, first-unit power play, they slap him in front of the net, he's a big guy. But long-term, I think Jost will, will probably either outscore him or, or be just around the same excuse me, same neighborhood, and uh, but less peripheral points. Um, but I, I like them them both a lot. They both have, you know, career 70-point upside. Wow, yeah. So it's hard. It's scary to take someone on Colorado after what happened last year. I was one of the people who drafted Gabriel Landeskog in one of my leagues, and it was so frustrating. Just game after game, and no points, hardly any shots. It's hard to imagine these prospects coming in and doing something, but I guess if you're a guy with a high pedigree and if you could play on a power play with Nathan McKinnon and on and an even strength, things could happen. I can't imagine they could be as bad as they were last year. I guess we'll see if I end up eating my words. I, I don't see why they wouldn't be. I mean, they haven't done anything to change their fortunes. They were unable to trade Matt Duchesne, so that's a volatile situation. They have the same coach, right? Yeah. 
They've added Sven Andraghetto, Jared Bednar as their coach, which, you know, who the hell is that? A lot of people were really excited when Patrick Waugh left the team and they thought Jared Bednar would be an obvious improvement over Patrick Waugh, who didn't believe in any of the advanced stats and caring about the fact that they had high percentages in that one year that they were good. But yeah, definitely didn't work out too well with Bednar. I don't know if you could blame him, though, with the players he has on his team like you're talking about. But Matt Duchesne is supposed to be a good player. They didn't trade him. That should be a good thing. He's good, right? Or am I living in the past? He's supposed to be a good player. But what has he done for me lately? If he gets traded... You know, I thought a perfect situation for him would be to go to the New York Islanders and, and play with John Tavares. That would be that would be very good, and I I would have faith in Matt Duchesne's offensive fantasy value if that had happened. But staying in in Colorado, they haven't done anything to show me that, that things are going to change. Their defense is is arguably the worst in the NHL. Eric Johnson, Tyson Berry, and it, that's okay, but it nosedives after that. Sidorov, Barbario, and then a bunch of other guys. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. And then Varlamov is is often injured. When he's not injured, he's he's good. But dude, you gotta you gotta be playing. Well, yeah, for sure. They got Jonathan Bernier. I don't know. Eric Johnson was injured for a lot of last year. Maybe when he's healthy, that's good for the team. And hey, you left off one of their biggest acquisitions ever. Former first overall pick, Nail Yakupov. Come on. That's true. You know, he's really flamed out in his NHL career. And I think sometimes you see a player who realizes he's on his last last chance, like Joffrey Lupel. Joffrey Lupel was, was pretty good when he played for Edmonton and Philadelphia. And then he had a couple of years where it wasn't so good. And he was really injured in Anaheim. And it looked like his career was over. And he was a, a cap dump to the Leafs. And then he changed his life. Uh, you know, he worked out, he got in shape, he took his career more seriously, and he bounced back, and uh, he was an impact player for Toronto for a few years. So Nail Akupov is still only 23 years old, right? Like, he's still super young, even by the NHL standards. And he was picked first overall for a reason. Kid's got a lethal shot. So this is this is his last chance. If he doesn't figure it out and find a way to be an impact player, he's going to play out this year and go to the KHL or something like that. But... He's definitely a player I think is worth a gamble. You might want to pick him up in a later round pick in your draft for sure or put him on your watch list on the waiver wire. It might be better in the type of leagues that you're talking about. But if he gets off to a hot start, I wouldn't sleep on him. I'd add him to my roster if you have ad drops, if he starts scoring. Okay, well, I brought him up as a joke, but uh, there you go. So, yeah, I agree. I feel like first let's see him get over 10 minutes a game and then go from there. But, yeah, if he's getting decent minutes and putting up some points, for sure, he'd be someone that I'd quickly take notice of because of all the hype that he had all those years ago. All right, let's go to the Islanders now. So far, what, we've been talking for like a half an hour, maybe more, and we've covered like four out of the 30 players I wanted to bring up. But I want to talk about Josh Hosang. He was another first-round pick. This is already, I guess, three years ago now, 2014 entry draft, but a lot of people have put him on their lists for potential Rookie of the Years. I don't know, I look at how he did last year in the minors, like 36 points in 50 games isn't too great. Then he came into the NHL. He actually, I recall, had a few good games. There was that one week where the Islanders played a bunch of times, and then he got a bunch of points. It was like really valuable for the players that picked him up for that week. But overall, 10 points in 21 games, which is okay for, you know, just coming into the league for the first time. But should I be concerned about the fact that he only had 36 points in 50 games in the minors? And what do you think about his overall chances for next year? Okay, so this is an interesting situation, and it's not too dissimilar from from what I was just talking about with, with Yakupov. So Hosang was a dynamic 
offensive player in junior. I mean, the kid was just head and shoulders way more skilled than the rest of the guys in the league that he was playing against on a nightly basis. He's got NHL top six offensive skills for sure, but he's a bit of a head case. He had, you know, some discipline issues. I think he missed curfew. Uh, he, he forgot to set his alarm the first day of training camp two summers ago and immediately got sent back to junior before training camp even started. Um, so things were looking pretty down for him. And then last season, he started in the AHL and, uh, you know, wasn't really lighting it up. But uh, as you mentioned, he kind of turned the page uh, midway through the season. He got his NHL recall, played in 21 games. It's a half a point per game pace when he made it to the NHL. And then this offseason, he wanted to go to the rookie development camp right after the draft. He wasn't forced to go. He wanted to go. And I think that speaks a lot about his character. And they're looking at him as, uh, you know, if he's a head case, you don't want him to go and spread that cancer amongst your recently drafted rookies and, you know, junior prospects. You want to send someone who can be a role model for those kids. So I think the message that Osang was going there to say was, like, just because you've been drafted in the NHL, trust me, it doesn't mean you're good. This is when the work has to start. You know, learn from the mistakes I made and start taking things seriously starting now. So I think, you know, I think he's a player that was a bit of a head case problem, and I think he's got that sorted out now. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I don't know him, so I'm not speaking firsthand, but this is just from the information that I've seen. And, uh, yeah, so I think I like him to have a really good season, and I think you're not far off when you talk about a Calder candidate. Now, are the New York Islanders going to be a high-scoring offensive team this season? I don't think so. You know, they added Jordan Eberle, but the New York Islanders have been a bad team for a long time. Long time. And they've had a lot of high draft picks. It's time for those kids to start showing up and producing. And I'm talking about Josh Hosang, who I think could be a second-line player. Put him in the 45-50 point range, career upside, 70-plus points. You've got Matt Barzell. He's going to graduate from junior he had a humongous season last year, scoring 79 points in 41 games for Seattle. Made it to the Memorial Cup with Seattle. Uh, he's a really high offensive player. He's turning pro, probably going to start in the AHL, but he's a player that could play a little bit between both leagues as a fourth-line center. If he sneaks in you know, a bunch of games, I think he could be looking at 25 points. But his upside offensively is close to, if not higher than Hosang's in the 70-point range. They've also got Anthony Bavillier, who played pretty much the whole season in, in New York last year, 66 games, only scored 24 points, but he's only 20 years old. He's a versatile center and winger as well. Uh, not a huge player, but not terribly undersized either. He's, he's just under six feet tall. So, you know, as a third-line center on a regular basis this season, I think you'd be looking at uh, 30, 35-point range for him. But uh, and his upside is probably in the 60-point range. Um, plus, they got a kid on on the back end who should be breaking into the roster this year. Uh, Ryan Pulak. That's the one. Yeah, he played one game last year and didn't do anything in it. But he had 46 points in 55 AHL uh, games last year. He's 22, big, 6'2", 215. So, you know, he's got the potential to be a number one defenseman. I think he plays full-time in the NHL this year as a rookie, and he'll play bottom six. But he might get a shot at uh, second unit power play. Uh, the kid's got a huge shot. So even in the bottom six role, he could uh, he could peak at 20 points this season. But, you know, he's got potential for so much more once 
uh, once he graduates up the roster a little bit. Yeah, Pulak is actually probably the one I'm most excited about next year in terms of if I want to take one of these rookies or prospects on the Islanders. Like Hosang, yeah, like he could do well. Like you say, obviously he has a lot of upside. But you look at their roster, I see potentially, like I think a lot of people are envisioning a first line of Tavares, Eberle, and Anders Lee. And already then that takes three out of five top power play spots. You have Nick Letty or, you know, some defenseman in there, maybe Pulak. That would be, I think it's more likely that Pulak could usurp Letty than Hosang can usurp someone like I don't even know like Brock Nelson or Josh Bailey like Hosang has a bunch of people to pass in order to get into the top six I guess these aren't super amazing players though I guess yeah and Andrew Ladd I don't know if he, he wasn't able to hold on to a top six spot so I guess there is potentially room for Josh Hosang if he could get on you know a top six line I mean the first line would be the best right usually on the Islanders the only people we care about in terms of forwards are the ones playing with John Tavares like last year it was Tavares Lee and Josh Bailey and then everyone else pretty much was useless I remember the year before Franz Nielsen was someone who was able to put up some points but it's been a while but like you say, there's all these young prospects. Maybe they all could do well, or a couple of them could do well and play together. So I guess there's upside there for Hosang. But I like Pulak's situation because, I don't know, is Nick Letty really like a NHL top power play defenseman? Like, maybe he can be bumped and he also gets injured every once in a while. Yeah, um, well, I defer to you on the NHL uh, players, and I, I stick more to the junior guys. I defer to Brian. <laughs> I'm just yeah, trying to tread go. water here while he's on vacation. And you got Johnny Boychek's big point shot as well. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so it'll be interesting to see. I don't see myself drafting one of these Islanders forwards, but, you know, that probably means that one of them is going to do really well. So keep them in mind. All right, let's move along to the next potential Rookie of the Year candidate that I've got on my list here. How about Kyle Connor over in Winnipeg? This is another guy who I've heard a lot of good things about, but I also get worried about where does he fit in on the roster. I mean, guaranteed in the top six, you've got Ehlers, Shifley, Line, Wheeler, Little. Then I feel like you've got one spot, maybe a winger on the second line, and it could go to Kyle Connor or it could go to Matthew Perot. Maybe they could jump around. I don't know if there's any other contenders there. I guess there potentially is a spot for him in Winnipeg. They score a lot of goals. You'd expect maybe even more next year as the guys like Ehlers and Line score more. And yeah, so maybe you could just give us a bit of background on Kyle Connor because I feel like last year, even going into the year, some people were excited about him. Now this year, I have seen him on some potential Calder lists. Yeah, so he's... 6'1", and he's a speedy little winger. He's got great offensive upside, and he started in the NHL last year as a 19-year-old, and then he got an injury and was sent down to the uh, AHL. Um, So he got in 20 games last year, and he scored um, five points. So I think the potential for him to play in a a top-six role is absolutely there, and I think you're, you're, you're kind of bang on with their depth chart. I think there's... Ellers, Little, Shifley, Line and Wheeler, are those five are locked in the top six. So that leaves one position on the wing. Uh, Matthew Perot is certainly a candidate. Maybe Marco Dano. Maybe Nick Patan. But ultimately, I think the guy who's going to win that position out is going to be Kyle Connor. I think he's going to play that, if not right out of the gate for the entire season, uh, almost immediately after. He's just he's just that good. He's got first round pedigree behind him uh i'd like like him to score at a basement of 30 points with an upside to 40 and then his career projection is is much higher a 70 point range man winnipeg just has if they can get some goaltending hopefully finally steve mason will be the answer we'll see they could be a really good team because they've got also Truba on defense who I really like along with dustin bufflin and all these great forwards like you see a lot of good names there could be a good time to be a Jets fan. Going into last year, everyone was so excited about Connor Hellebuck taking the job, and he 
pretty much flamed out. They ended up having to call Andre Pavlik back up to the team. We could talk about goalies, right? What are your thoughts on Hellebuck now? Do you still see him as a blue chip goaltending prospect like a lot of people did going into last year? Or has his stock fallen because of the year he put up? It'd be hard to argue that his stock hasn't fallen. Um, I think he's going to be in a platoon situation where he splits time with Hellebuck, or sorry, with uh, with Mason. And uh, it looks, it's starting to look like the future starting goalie is going to be uh, a kid called Eric Comrie, who's uh, going to be playing full-time starting goalie in the AHL this season. He was, he's their number one goalie prospect. But yeah, it, yeah, Hellebuck has... He's got a really good team in front of him. Like you said, the top six is uh, well, the top five are, are cemented. And then even on the, on the blue line, after the top two guys, Truba and Bufflin, you got Josh Morris, who I'm a huge fan of, and Tyler Myers, who you know kind of struggled for a few years after his breakout in Buffalo, but he's, he's, he's a really good, valuable player. And he's your number four defenseman. That's pretty solid. So, yes, the Winnipeg Jets are in a very good situation. And if Hellbuck can at least play decent, the team in front of him should make him look even better. Um, I'm not sure how long they signed Mason for, but, um, you know, it'd be pretty easy for him to to win the job back uh, if he has the mental fortitude to do it. I'm not much of a goalie expert. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see. Like, they signed Mason, I think, for a couple of years, and Mason's only 29. Like, I feel like probably... It was a two-year, $8.2 million contract, so they didn't bring him in to, you know, be the backup to Hellebuck. Like you say, maybe a platoon situation, but this could be bad for people who are banking on Hellebuck as their future prospect goalie if potentially two years of Mason being there, and then that's just enough time for Eric Comrie to come up and all of a sudden start challenging Hellebuck for that number one job. Ugh. I don't know. Okay, so if you're not much of a goalie expert, let's just get this one out of the way. I feel like the only goalie I've seen on the list of potential Calder candidates is UC Saros over in Nashville. I guess last year, he there were times when Pekka was struggling and it looked like Saros maybe should be the guy to take the job. By the playoffs, Rene had taken the job, had taken stronghold of the job, then he had an amazing playoff. So obviously going into next year, Pekka is going to be the guy in Nashville. But I'll bet you that Brian, when he comes back, is going to say that he sees next year as a good chance for Rene to struggle and Saros to have a chance. Do you have any thoughts about if Saros could potentially become a number one goalie and challenge for the Calder? Yeah, I absolutely think that that could happen. And Pecorini had a pretty good season. He had some flashes where he was not so good, particularly against Pittsburgh in the playoffs. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the guy's 34. He's starting to wind down a little bit. UC Saros is uh, just taken off. Uh, he's a little bit undersized. He's five foot eleven, so that doesn't really fit the uh, the modern day NHL goalie uh, formula. But uh, we had uh, Justin Goldman from the Goalie Guild come on our podcast, and I asked him about, you know, size and goalies and if it really matters. You know, tall goalies go down on their knees, and uh, they're so tall, their shoulders still take away the top corner and, and the net, right? And then they can butterfly their legs out and take away the bottom, and it's, they don't give the shooter much to shoot at. And he said that's sort of true, but what really matters is box control and how they position themselves between the shooter and the net. And even goalies who are short are just fine. You know, being tall makes it makes it easier. So if you're if you're skilled enough and you're a good enough skater, you've got strong enough edges and you can, you know, you're agile and you're nimble and you're quick and you can move around well enough and read the play well enough and track the puck and all that, you'll be just fine. Um, and I think Usaros does all those things. I'm a really big believer in him. 
And in fact, I'd be surprised if he's not the starting goalie by the time the playoffs start next year. Wow, big claim, but I could see it happening too. Like to be honest, that's the only goalie I could think of to bring up with you this week as someone to talk about as a potential rookie or maybe even second year guy who's going to steal the job. Like, are there any other goalies I should be looking at for next season in particular? Like, I know you mentioned Comrie now as someone in the future, but like for next year, is there anyone else I should be watching out for? Hmm. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens in in Detroit. Uh, I was really surprised that that they left. Peter Morazic exposed for the expansion draft. And then I was even more surprised that he wasn't claimed. Yeah, you're definitely not alone with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I was at the draft in Chicago and I was I was talking to some, some NHL guys and they were they kind of looked at me like, I'm not surprised he wasn't claimed. So there must be something kind of going on behind the scenes there that, uh, you know, we're not privy to. But hey, watching him in the games, Winning is what matters, right? And you know, if kids got skills. I really like him. I think he can. I think he can win. I don't dare bring up Scott Darling after all the airtime he's got on your show. Um, but some other <laughs> goalie prospects. Um, hmm. Well, when you brought up Morazic, was that because you're suggesting that someone like Jared Carew could come in and be a starting goalie? Like last year when Jimmy Howard got injured, Carew came in. The thing is, Detroit kind of sucks. So I don't know if you'd want their goalie in fantasy, even if you know, he becomes the starter. But is that where you're going with talking about Morazic, or are you just mainly saying that Morazic is someone that people should watch for? Well, it seems like Detroit is is really... They, their first choice is to make Jimmy Howard their number one goalie. They just like the guy. They believe in him. And I think Peter Morazic is, is a better player. Uh, maybe it's the contract situation. They feel like they have to play Howard because he has you know a bigger contract, but Morazic got a pretty good race too. Um, yeah, and Jared Crow is certainly a prospect who... Um, is on the way. I don't think he's quite ready yet. I think you'd be looking at him to play uh, uh, a full season again in the AHL as a starting goalie. And Detroit really likes to, you know, overcook, overripen their prospects. So I think you're looking at at least one more year wait on Kuro. Uh Some other goalie potential. Um, I don't know if you'd consider Vasilevsky a prospect still, but he's clearly going to be the number one goalie in Detroit now that Bishop's or Tampa now that uh, Ben Bishop is gone. And I really like Tampa a lot. Otherwise, I think you're looking at, you've got a couple of rookies in backup situations. So it's, it's, it's injury dependent on the starting goalies, right? Like if Braden Holby goes down for the season, well, Philip Grubauer all of a sudden becomes a potential Calder candidate. But as long as Holby's healthy, he won't see more than you know 15 or 20 games if he's lucky. Yeah, it's pretty hard to predict injuries like that like I, I feel like at least with someone like Saros you could potentially see the starting goalie losing the job fair and square not because of injury I don't see that happening in Washington with Holtby there's a goalie that I think everyone's gonna think I'm crazy but if you just think two years ago this guy almost stole the job I'm talking about Eunice Corposalo almost stealing the job from Bobrovsky a couple seasons ago Bobrovsky was injured then when he came back he wasn't so good and Corposalo did really well while Bobrovsky was out and then last year I remember thinking oh maybe this will be the year that Corposalo takes the job kind of what people are thinking about UC Saros this year and then Bobrovsky had this amazing season Vesna candidate like he was great and so now I'm sure no one's thinking about Corposalo going into next year, but Borowski's, you know, not young himself. I wonder if maybe there's some potential upside. Maybe Bob gets injured, or maybe he struggles a little bit. Einton Forsberg is gone for whatever that's worth. So it is Corposalo's <laughs> net behind Bobrovsky. Yeah, I don't think that's ridiculous at all. I think he's a quality prospect, and he's in an opportunity, like you said. You know, it'll take some all-things-going-right situations for him to get in a significant enough number of starts. 
but Columbus has proven to be a pretty good team, and uh, they suppress a lot of shots. Uh, so I think he'd be, you know, if he gets to, to start the majority of the games, he'd absolutely be um, a player who puts up good fantasy value and good stats, and could possibly even, I mean, a Calder or Vesna nomination category. You'd have to play a lot of games for that to happen, but um, certainly a starting position for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess at the end of the day, who cares about those trophies? How that we care about is our fantasy hockey trophies. And if he could be a good value goalie to grab in fantasy, that would be great. Maybe you don't draft Corpusalo, but keep your eye on him in free agency if Bobrovsky struggles early on. Maybe. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to throw one more rookie goalie out at you. And I know you said a while back that goalies aren't your expertise, and I just keep throwing them at you. But this will be the last one, I promise. Brian hates it when I call him this. Stoli the goalie over in Philly, Anthony Stolarz. He got called up. What was it? Was like Mason injured or Neuverth was injured? I think Neuverth was injured. I forget. Someone was injured on Philly last year and Stolarz came up and did pretty well in the games he played. And then he got sent back down at some point. But now Mason is gone. Philly has signed Brian Elliott, who could be really good, but could also struggle like he did last year in Calgary. And then they've got Neuverth, who's never been able to really clinch that job. I wonder if there's any potential. Again, this is like everything would have to go right. But if Elliott and Neuverth struggle, which I think isn't out of the complete realm of possibility, maybe Anthony Stolarz becomes a guy who might play some games in the NHL. But now I guess I'm really reaching. Uh, Philadelphia goaltending. It's just been an absolute nightmare for decades. They have not addressed their goaltending situation since Ron Hextall was their goalie. He's now their GM. The good news is he's addressing it. And I'm not talking about Brian Elliott. And I'm not talking about Michael Neuber. They have got some really good goalie prospects coming down the pipe. Anthony Stolarz is, is one of them. He's not the best, but he's the most NHL-ready. And he could be the starting goalie this season for sure because I have absolutely no confidence in the other two guys ahead of him. Wow. Some other guys who are coming up behind him uh, would be Carter Hart from the WHL, played for Team Canada at the World Juniors. Um, the kid's just got ice in his blood. No matter how high the stakes and the pressure are in the game, he looks just cool as a cucumber. And his rebound control is great. He's six foot one, so he's not undersized. They also signed a free agent last summer, Alex Lyon, out of the NCAA. He had a pretty good first season in the AHL last year. I like his upside. Arguably their best goalie prospect would be either probably Hart or Felix Sandstrom, who they drafted in 2015 in the third round. He's playing in the uh, in the SHL in their pro hockey league, putting up just phenomenal stats. Uh, they got they got some good guys coming down the pipe in net. So their goaltending situation ultimately will be solved by one of these guys. Um, Anthony Stolarz could be the guy. Uh, and it could happen as soon as this season, because like I said, I just don't have any confidence in, in Nyberth or, or Elliot. All right. Well, so, hey, players to watch long term and maybe next year Stolarz. I'm not going to be drafting or recommending anyone draft Anthony Stolarz in their fantasy drafts for a one-year league. All right. So we've talked about goalies. I, I would recommend it, but not as your starting goalie. If you could get him, you know, in a late round and put him on your reserve bench. That might be a, a decent strategy, depending on how large your reserve or prospect bench is, because he's a guy who you could draft in like the 20th round or something like that, and he could be your starting goalie. Yeah, okay, you're right. You know what? It's good that I have you on the show, because I feel like I didn't even think about leagues that I go as far as 20 rounds. But yeah, if you definitely have a very deep bench, and if like 60 goalies are being drafted, then for sure, someone like Stolarz could be worth looking at. Uh, okay, so like I was about to say, we were talking about 
goalies just now, and before we talked about a bunch of forwards, I still have a bunch more forwards I wanted to bring up, but let's switch over to defense for a short time. One name I've been seeing jump up a lot is Charlie McAvoy in Boston, who had a really nice role on the Bruins in the playoffs last year when Tori Krug was injured. They only played six games, but he got three points in those games, including two on the power play. He was getting big minutes as he averaged 26 minutes a game. I guess there were a couple overtimes there. Also, like, a good number of power play minutes. So is Charlie McAvoy someone who we expect to jump in and be an impact defenseman on Boston next year? Like, obviously, Tori Krug is there as the number one, but when you think about who's their number two, I mean, I don't know. Is Chara? I don't think he still counts. Maybe he does. Colin Miller is someone that I guess we've seen his name come up a few times. But I feel like Charlie McAvoy, there's a spot for him. Yeah. Um, a short answer to your question is yes. I think he's uh, I think he's going to play full-time in Boston this year. I think he's going to be their number one defenseman as soon as right out of the gate. Uh, this kid is the real deal. He is dominant in one year. At NCAA as a rookie, he's a one-and-done player, scoring 26 points in 38 games. He was impressive, uh, dominant uh, with the United States at the World Juniors. He's a leader. He's good defensively. He can create transition. He can skate. He can throw some hits. He's got decent size, 6 feet, 208 pounds, plays an aggressive game. Uh, the Bruins have had the fortune of a long history of franchise defensemen. You know, Ray Bork, Bobby Orr. Zidane Chara, and I think by the time his career's over, you could be putting Johnny McAvoy in that classification, in that category, with all-time great Bruin defensemen. Wow. Just kidding. Yeah. Um, Wait, so are I, you a Bruins fan? No, I'm not. No. Um, but I'm a Charlie McAvoy fan, as you can tell. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think, you know, McAvoy, you're looking at uh, number one defenseman, probably not going to get the prime power play time this season as a rookie. As you mentioned, they've got uh, Tory Krug there. So as long as he's healthy, he'll probably still be the guy running the point on the first unit. But, uh, you know, McAvoy's going to get, uh, he's going to get power play time this season for sure. Um, that forecast for him as a defenseman, you'd be looking at, you know, 30 point range um, and his upside for his career. Um I put him in 60, up to 60 points as oh. a defenseman. Yeah, and decent peripherals, too. Like I said, he throws some hits. He'll block some shots. He'll take a lot of shots on goal. His plus minus will be good. It's all good with Charlie McAvoy. He's and the way you're talking about him, it sounds like he should be among the top prospects in any new league that's forming. Like, How high do you have him ranked in your overall NHL prospects? Let's put it this way. If we were doing a draft that had the 2017 draft class and somehow Charlie McAvoy was available, I'd pick him first. So over Hishir. Yeah, I think, well, this, for a one-year league, for sure. His impact this year will be more prominent than Hishir and uh, and Patrick's. He's going to be the number one defenseman. Those guys are going to be second, fourth-line centers. Wow, okay, cool. All right, so then, here, how about this one? Who would you take for next year and long-term between McAvoy and Provorov? Mm, no wrong choice there, but um, probably McAvoy. All right, so far, this is my big, uh, the guy who I'm saying Peter Harling loves the most in this episode. My takeaway is Charlie McAvoy so far. That's great. Cool. It's exciting. All right, so now I feel like the rest of these defensemen I'll bring up, they could only disappoint, but I'd like to get your thoughts on Mikhail Sergachev, who got traded for Jonathan Druin. I feel like I didn't 
care much about Sergachev going into last year. And I remember a lot of Habs fans were messaging us, tweeting at us, saying, you didn't bring up Sergachev enough in the preseason. And then, you know, so it kind of felt kind of good when he got sent to the minors, which is not very nice. But, you know, our point was proven there. But anyways, going into next year, now he gets traded for Jonathan Druin. So it's all of a sudden like, wow, this guy must be really great. He goes to Tampa, who have Victor Hedman, of course, as like an elite defenseman. But after him, I feel like there could be some room for some guys. Like Strahlman is there, but he's not really an offensive guy. Where do you see Mikhail Sergachev? Like, is he going to make the team, first of all? And do you see him making any type of impact? All right. So this one for me is really hard. I mean, some of your top prospect defensemen, they're trying to make the league this year. McAvoy, Sergachev, Shabbat, Hanka. I feel pretty confident about all of them and whether or not they're going to make the NHL, with the exception of Sergachev. He could easily make the team. He could easily be, like, a top four, top pairing defenseman as a rookie uh, and play second unit power play. I don't think he's going to wrestle that away from Hedman. But his situation is it's the NHL or back to junior. He can't play in the AHL. And if he's not playing solid minutes in the NHL, then he should go back to junior, in my opinion. And knowing the way Steve Eiserman runs the team, I think that's exactly the way he sees the situation, too. He's either got to play, you know, top four minutes or first line minutes in junior. So if you look at their depth chart, you got Hedman, and then like you said, a bunch of other guys, Strawman, Colburn, Dan Girardi, Jake Jochen, Slater Cuckoo. So the opportunity is certainly there for him to do that. I mean, you're not talking about the same kind of depth you see on some of the other teams we've talked about. I'm just not sold that he's going to crack the roster. And if I had to put money on it, I'd say he goes back to junior. Now, if he goes back to junior, He's on your do not draft list for this season because he won't play more than like one game at the end of the season if he's lucky. Um, but if he does play this season, I think he could be looking at a defenseman that puts you upwards of um, 30 to 40 points as well. And his career upside, I'd put in the 55-point range. I'm a really big fan of his. Uh, last summer watching him play um, a rookie tournament game for Montreal against Ottawa, he was absolutely dominant so you know dominating in the ohl is one thing because you're playing against a couple of nhl drafted players on the other team per night and guys who are as young as 16 and as old as 20 right so dominating in a game against the uh the kingston frontenacs isn't as impressive against dominating against the ottawa senators rookies these are all nhl drafted players some of them are already playing pro a lot of first round picks in there yada yada and he was just controlling the play both sides of the puck. Every time he got possession of the puck, he skated it up the ice, made a beautiful outlet pass or something impactful to that effect. Um, the game was cut short because he got kind of a blindside hit from a goon on Ottawa, Vince Dunn, and uh, that kind of knocked him out of the game. And I think really that hit made it difficult for him to make the roster because I'm pretty sure he got a concussion out of it. Man. These Ottawa goons, it's hard to be a Sens fan. What about the guy who took out Clark MacArthur also last year? Didn't Clark MacArthur take Clark MacArthur out by falling into the boards? Wait, wasn't there a guy in like a game in the preseason <laughs> who knocked out Clark MacArthur? Maybe that's two years ago? Uh, it's hard to keep track of all of Clark MacArthur. I just remember Brian went on a rant at some point on the podcast about how like these Ottawa rookies or like people trying to make the team are like injuring actual players on the team. Yeah, well, I was ranting about Sergeyev, but the point is, I really like him. And he made it to the Memorial Cup, he won the Memorial Cup, he looked good doing it. Uh, there's no question he's going to have a long and impactful NHL career with tremendous fantasy value. 
just not sold that it's going to start this season. So if you're drafting him, uh, draft with caution. But moving, yeah, moving to Tampa Bay, I think, is better for his long-term upside and value. Okay, well, so yeah, I guess that's a very big high-risk, high-reward. Maybe you don't want to take him too high if you're going to bank on someone and then have him get sent to the minors. There's also that whole thing about the trade with Montreal. It wasn't like if he plays fewer than a certain number of games, then Tampa gets a better draft pick. So they might also be incentivized not to bring him up for that reason. So there's a lot going into it that might lead to Sergachev not staying in the NHL. But it's good to know that if he does stay, you see 30, 35 points for a rookie season, which would be great. Since we're on Tampa, I know I wanted to bring up the fence, but I'm already getting off track. Curious to know what your thoughts are on Braden Point, who came in last year and had that really huge end of the season playing with Kucherov. He's now coming into his second season, but with Tampa Bay, like they have Stamkos hopefully healthy for the year. Is there still going to be room for Braden Point to be in the top six? Like, Can he do as well as he did last year, or is it just kind of a flash-in-the-pan type thing? Expect him to go back to being like a middle six guy who's not going to have that much fantasy value. I think his point production increases in this coming season. His nickname is the Point Machine, and it's not just because his last name is Point. The kid's got skills. He's going to be a regular in the top six. So what does that mean? You look at the roster, you've got, um, like you said, if Stamkos is healthy all year, you've got yeah, him for sure. You've got the the triplets and uh, Tyler Johnson, Kucharov, and Palat. You've also got Kalorn. Nemesnikov is going to make a, a push to make uh, the top six. Um, they signed Chris Kunitz. They have Ryan Callahan. Uh, they have some other prospects who are going to push as well, like Adam Earn, Yanni Gourd showed uh, well in his auditions last year. So, you know, there's a lot of competition there, but Point is, is better than, than most of the guys behind him on the depth chart, like Gourd and Kunitz. Uh, I think Ryan Callahan, at 32 years old, and scored. He's only played in 18 games last year, so it's hard to say what he did last year. But when you miss almost an entire season at 32, it's kind of hard to, you know, get it back and come back. And and he's never, in my opinion, been really slotted well on the first or second line. He's a really good, you know, third line winger um, and an exceptional fourth line winger. And I think that's where he's going to end up uh, immediately in Tampa Bay this year, right? So. If you put the triplets line together, just for argument's sake, to keep it simple, what does that give you? Stamkos, he needs a couple of wingers, right? So Alex Kalorn is projected to be one of those wingers. We're knocking Ryan Callahan off at, you know, Chris Kunitz, maybe. No, but I see what you're saying. Now that you actually look at the roster, there's definitely a spot for him. Like you say, there's those four spots taken with the triplets and Stamkos, and that leaves two spots for, like I say, like, yeah, Killorn, but like I say Braden Point, at least last year, Point and Killorn were both on the team, and Point was the one getting the prime opportunities. So yeah, well, that's exciting. If you think he's going to do better than he did last year, last year he had 40 points in 68 games. That's a 48-point pace. So if he could break 50 points, so that's a fantasy-relevant guy. So don't forget about Braden Point in your drafts. Cool. All right. Well, sounds like you like Braden Point. Maybe not as much as Charlie McAvoy, but it's good to know that you see a lot of offside <laughs> with him. Okay, back to defensemen. So Shabbat on Ottawa. It's really been a long time since we've talked about fantasy-relevant defensemen on Ottawa, not named Eric Carlson. I guess Fanuf in a bangers and mash league. He is, you know, draftable for sure. But as far as offense goes, it's been a while. Is Shabbat that guy? Can he come in and put up points? Is it even possible to put up a lot of points as a defenseman in Ottawa if they have Eric Carlson playing all those minutes and all the prime power play time? All right. So first of all, Thomas Shabbat is an outstanding prospect. He was the best defenseman in the CHL last year, and it wasn't even close. There's him and everyone else. He was dominant 
with Canada at the World Juniors. He was dominant with the St. John Sea Dogs all season long. He was the playoff MVP, and uh, and he's turning pro and he's making the Senators this year. He almost made it last year. He played, I think it was nine games. He was up with the team and played in one game, if I'm not mistaken. So he was, you know, hanging around but didn't really get to play. Um, he's going to play the full season this se- this year in the NHL. He's going to circumvent the AHL, but it's going to be difficult for him to get out of a bottom pairing situation. So, you know, Carlson and Mathot were the number one pairing last year, and it wasn't even close. So Mathot's gone, so there's an opportunity for someone. CC and Funuf seem to play really well together. There's your 3-4, right? So you've got one, a guy, and then 3-4. That leaves your bottom two and someone to play with Carlson. So I think the guy that plays with Carlson is probably going to rotate until they find something that sticks. And it's just a matter of time until that something that sticks is Thomas Shabbat. So other guys you could you could try Mark Borbiecki. I don't think it's out of the five six because just he doesn't complement Eric Carlson very well unless you want someone to protect him. Chris Weidman is a possibility because you know he's got offensive upside and he can probably keep up with Carlson. Um, Frederick Clayson. Yeah, Frederick Clayson for sure. He he played a lot last season. Derek Englund. Uh, he's another option of someone, or sorry, Andreas England is someone who could come up and, and he's ready now. Well, Ottawa recently signed Johnny Oduya. I don't know if they brought him there to play with Carlson or not. But is playing with Carlson even that good? Like Mark Mathot played with Carlson a lot, which was good for the team and like good defensively. But that wasn't it wasn't like Mark Mathot was a great fantasy option because he was playing with Eric Carlson. I almost think like maybe you don't want to have the guy playing with Carlson because that's the one who has to be defensively responsible. Yeah, another prospect you might want to keep your eye on is someone who probably is going to play in the center this year is a guy named Christian Yaros. He's a 15 draft. He was recently signed by the Sens, and he's coming over from Sweden. Maybe not the most you know offensive fantasy relevant unless you're in the deep deep keeper leagues like the one I'm in, but just throwing that name out for fun. Uh, I did not know about Johnny Oduya. Did that just happen recently? Uh, I think like a week or two ago. I've been on vacation. Um, so, well, that certainly hurts Thomas Shabbat's chances of playing with Eric Carlson. But, you know, there's always an injury as well. One of your defensemen is almost always injured at all the time, right? So he'll play, like I said, the full season, majority of it probably in a bottom pairing. But I still like him for, you know, 20 points this season. I think that's probably fantasy relevant for a defenseman. And, you know, long term, his upside is huge. Um, like, Potential Norris Trophy huge, 55-point range. Wow. But not as huge as Charlie McAvoy. Right there. I oh. think the, yeah, I think, they'll be, uh, I think they'll be competing for Norris Trophies for a long time in the future. Well, that's exciting. Okay, so two big yeah. defensemen now to watch. I'm curious, like, of the rookies going to next year, you're excited about McAvoy. I guess for next year, you're saying McAvoy might have the biggest immediate impact because he's going to be potentially a top-pairing defenseman. Sergeyev, we don't know. We talked about Thomas Shabbat just now. Another name that I wanted to bring up was Julius Honka, who I think you mentioned when you were listing some other rookie defensemen earlier. So last year, Essa Lindell took some power play time from John Klingberg, which shocked the world. You know, like everyone was like, oh my gosh, like what does this mean for John Klingberg? Now we've got Honka, who is going to be on the team I'm curious to know, is he the type of guy that could do the same thing? Like, can he potentially be a top power play defenseman playing with the likes of Ben and Sagan and Spezza and now Alex Radulov? Or is Honka going to be someone who's going to make the team and do okay, but he's not going to be able to take the prime, prime minutes? Yeah, all right. So Dallas has got two pretty young defensemen who are going to be clawing and scratching for all the ice time they can get. And Julius Honka and Essel Lindell. I think they both play middle six pairing this season. I think Mathot and Klingberg are going to be your lock on your first 
first D pairing, right? Like Mathot takes <laughs> takes over there and he plays with Klingberg the way he did with Carlson in Ottawa. I think that's why they got him. And then you've got the other two candidates would be Dan Hamuse, Stephen Johns, and Essa Lindell and Yuvis Honka. So I think by the time the season wears on, I think Honka and Lindell have so much upside that I think they're going to go from you know the bottom six to the middle six in short order. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Lindell outscores Honka this season marginally, like 25 to 20 points. But long term, you want to look at Julius Honka as your as your better fantasy option, I think. I think he's got... Uh, a, more tendency to play an offensive game. He's better at carrying the puck, uh, and he's just got a better offensive instincts than Essa Lindell. So I think Honka's got a 50-point career upside, while Lindell's probably peaks at about 30. And Julius Honka could probably be a top power play guy, but certainly not taking that away from Klingberg. At least, you know, not permanently. If Klingberg is something, then anything is possible like you saw last year. Yeah, so for next year anyways, you're not worried about Klingberg losing the job to Honka? No. All right. So yeah, so 20, 25 points. Okay, that's good to know. Probably not in the Calder conversation or in fantasy relevance for next year. But, you know, with defensemen, even like a 25-point guy, like with upside for more is, okay, on the, on the fringes, I guess. Okay, one more defenseman I wanted to bring up. Brandon Montour over in Anaheim. So a lot was discussed with the Anaheim defenseman over the summer, you know, with Vatnin not being protected, but then they made a deal to keep him. And there's Lindholm, who had a shoulder surgery. So there are some potential openings, at least in the short term, on Anaheim with some of these big injuries. They have Cam Fowler. They don't have Shea Theodore anymore. He went to Vegas. And by the way, when I said Colin Miller before, we were talking about Boston. He also went to Vegas. So he's not going to be standing in the way of Charlie McAvoy. Um, But yeah, on Anaheim, all of a sudden, we have this guy, Brandon Montour. And I wonder what you think of him as a potential guy who could come in and have a big rookie season and maybe make an impact. I guess eventually, because Vatanen isn't really, you know, he was at one point, he seemed like the top power play guy on Anaheim, but he's sort of slipped away from that, and now he's going to be injured going into the season. Same with Lindholm, who seems more like a defensive player. Anyways, I'm curious to know what you think about the upside for Montour. I think it's great. His fantasy upside is, is awesome. He was just an offensive machine in the AHL, leading the defenseman in scoring. Um, his defensive game is a little bit, little bit concerning, right? So, but he's 23 years old. He's got good size, and in fantasy hockey, who cares about his defensive game, right? You, you don't get a lot of points for keeping the puck out of your net. You get it for putting it in the other team's net. Yeah, unless you play on Columbus and then you get benched whenever you make a defensive mistake. <laughs> yeah, well, fortunately for Fowler or Montour, he's not in Columbus. Um, yeah, I think he's going to play, you know, middle six, uh, but first unit power play. I mean, he's an offensive defenseman. If he's on your team, it's to create offense from the back end. So you play him on the power play, kind of like Gosses Bear. If you're not giving him offensive opportunities, then he's got no business on your team. So I think that's kind of where we are with with Brandon Montour. Um, so as a rookie, as a defenseman, eh, difficult to project, but I like him for at least 35 points, which is pretty high for a defenseman. Yeah, that'd be I mean, great. It, if you could get him late in your draft and then get 35 points out of him. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, well, who's he going to be playing with on Anaheim? Ryan Getzlaff is pretty good. Kemp Fowler is a pretty good defenseman pairing on, on the power play to be playing with. Um, Keeping Carlson favorite, Ricard Raquel, or at least on my side of the two. There you go. Scory Perry is still uh, still got some value. Silverberg. Yeah, so their, their power play should be good, and I think Montour is going to have a lot to do with that. Oh, that's exciting. Well, yeah, any chance for a defenseman to come in and be on the top power play? And I guess, actually, he's not 
brand brand new. He played 27 games last year, so I guess he's not even eligible for the Calder, much like Puliarvi, who just missed the cut. And so we'll see if he makes the cut to be brought up on this podcast. I guess we should. But yeah, that seems exciting. And yeah, these defensemen in fantasy are hard to get, the ones who have offensive upside. So you definitely want to take a look at Brandon Montour. I guess that's it for defensemen for me. Before we go to the forwards to, I guess, end the show, I'm good to go still for a while. I don't know what you have scheduled tonight. Are there any other defensemen you wanted to bring up with some upside for next year? Um, maybe Madison Bowie, Washington Capitals. I think he's going to probably at least split time between the AHL and the NHL. Uh, and he's got some offensive upside. So he's a player that, depending on the depth of your league, you might want to consider. It'd have to be a reasonably deep league. Uh, and another defenseman who I think you might want to maybe put on your radar is Jake Wallman from the St. Louis Blues. He's a player that, uh, I was at a Kitchener Rangers playoff game and I, I ran into, uh, their director of player development, uh, Tim Taylor. And I asked him, who are some prospects you got coming? And he said, Jake Wallman. And, uh, so I think this is a player who's about to turn pro and could very easily play his way onto a, uh, a roster spot with the St. Louis Blues. And he's got great offensive upside. Um, so you'd have to beat out a guy like Carl Gunnarsson, which shouldn't be too hard. Maybe Jordan Schmaltz. But uh, that's a player who I would at least put on, on your watch list. Another player who's turning pro coming out of college is Winnipeg Jets prospect Tucker Pullman. Now, he injured his, I think it was his shoulder, maybe it was his knee, at the end of uh, his last college season. So he won't be available to start the season, which probably means he doesn't play in the NHL this year. When he comes back from injury, he's likely going to go to the AHL and play there for a while. So he might not even get any NHL games this season, but that's just another name for you to, uh, you know, tuck away for your, for your draft next season, put him on your prospect watch list. And uh, if he does get called up, maybe want to add him as a, as a free agent ad. Okay, well, we'll make sure to... Well, I guess you'll bring him up on Dauber Prospects if he does get called up. And then also people listening, we'll try to bring him up as well. The name that really is going to stick with me is Madison Bowie. I love that last name. And I guess <laughs> since he's on Washington, I had a forward I wanted to bring up that I want to get your thoughts on. Jacob Verana over in Washington. It seems like there is an open spot there for potentially some impact because, as you know, Marcus Johansson is gone. So I see a top line of, let's say, like Backstrom, Ovechkin, and Oshie. And then you've got Kuznetsov centering the second line with probably Burakovsky. A lot of people are talking about Burakovsky as a sleeper for next year, someone who's primed for a breakout now that he'll finally get a solid top six opportunity, maybe even power play taking Johansson's spot. But another name, a guy who's going to be, I guess, a rookie is Jacob Verana. He was a 13th overall pick, also like a few years ago now, 2014, but I guess now must be the time that he's finally going to make the team. He played a little bit last year, 21 games, 6 points, but potentially a top 6 spot for him, or do you think I'm you know, shooting a bit too high with him? Nope, I think you're bang on. Saw him play in the AHL playoffs last year against Toronto with Hershey, and I was pretty impressed. He's got some pretty good skills. Uh, I think your analysis of, of their depth chart, there is absolutely a hole on the wing on the second line with Kuznetsov and Barakovsky. His competition is going to be Brett Connolly, Devontae Smith-Pelly, um, Tyler Grayevac, who they claimed off waivers, I think. Pretty slim, pretty slim competition. Yeah, I mean, Connolly could do it. We did talk about how he, if he's going to do it, it's going to be this year to potentially show some upside. But yeah, it's definitely a spot that Verona could take if he impresses at training camp and during the season. 
Yeah, and there'll be injuries. It doesn't have to be just the one guy the whole season. They can, you know, rotate between different guys who are guys who are hot, guys who are cold, and just go from there. But absolutely, Vron is a guy who I'd have penciled in on their depth chart right away on the second line on the left wing position, probably um, with a minimum thirty points with a career upside of sixty-five. Well, hey, that would be a great career upside if he can get there and 30 points for next year, maybe upside from where if he doesn't get drafted in your league, definitely I'd put him on the watch list as you kind of do anyone who's playing in the top six on a high-powered Washington Capitals offense. All right, I've got a few more. How about we go to Columbus? We already talked about Corpusalo earlier, but I wanted to bring up Pierre-Luc Dubois. I remember, you know, a lot of buzz last year when he got drafted ahead of Jesse Pugliarvi. A lot of people were surprised that Columbus went in that direction. He didn't make the team. Is he going to make the team next year? And is there a spot for him? Like, Columbus obviously also has a lot of strong offensive players. I don't know if there's room for him on the depth chart, but, I mean, they must like him if they drafted him so high last year. Yeah, especially ahead of, you know, the Finnish GM drafted him ahead of the consensus highest-ranked player on the board, a Finnish player. So, yeah, that was a real shock. And, yes, uh, I think Pierre-Luc Dubois does make the team this year. He went back to junior last year, as he said, and he kind of struggled right out of the gate. I think he was suffering from NHLitis a little bit, and uh, then he got traded. He also played for Team Canada at the World Juniors. He was dominant for them there. I think that kind of, you know, sparked him and got him going. And he ended up finishing the season really strong. Uh, This season going forward, it's either going to be on Columbus or back for his final year of junior. I don't think he's going back to junior. I think he's going to play on their third line in a center position. He's got dual positional eligibility kind of player as well. He could play on the left wing, but uh, he's got a good size. I think he plays in the middle. I'm looking at him, again, in the 30-point range, and I think his career upside uh, should be as high as at least 70 points. He might score even more. I'm just not convinced that Columbus is uh, is going to be like an offensively dominant team. He's They're kind of more a score-by-committee. Um, the addition of Panarin is, is nice. That gives them a real boost. But, yeah, we'll see. 70 points isn't bad. Well, I mean, 70 points would be amazing. You're saying next year you're thinking closer to around 30. 30. And then, so I guess on Columbus, actually, the guy that a lot of people are excited about, myself included, is Oliver Bjorkstrand. Is next year the year where he gets to stick on the team first and maybe in a top six role? Like, I see you've got Wenberg, Panarin, Cam Atkinson. Let's say they're the first line. Definitely all three of them will be in the top six. And then I guess Dubinsky centers the second line, which I guess is why you put Dubois over on line three. And then I'd imagine like a Nick Felino, And then you have a still another spot for Boone Jenner, Oliver Bjorkstrand. There's this guy, Josh Anderson, that I see thrown around a bit. Who do you see as the guy there that sticks in the top six and maybe has a breakout? Um, I'm not sure it's going to be Bjorkstrand. I think Boone Jenner would be the guy. He's got a lot more experience. He's 24. He's got size. He's a proven NHL commodity. You know, he scored 34 points last year, which is, which is pretty good. I'd forecast Boone Jenner to go, to go up as well. Yeah. I like Boone Jenner. Eventually I think guys like Bjorkstrand will, will knock Jenner down to a third line is where he'll settle. But I think the second line is where we're looking at him for this season. So a third line with um, Dubois in the middle uh, and Bjorkstrand and then maybe uh, a Matt Calvert or a Tyler Mott or Josh Anderson on that wing um, or a combination of those guys interchanging throughout the season is what you're looking at uh, in the middle six position. Uh, so for this season, for Bjorkstrand, I'd probably put him in the 35 to 40 point range 
Maybe. Oh, wow. A lot of people are projecting him for a breakout, so it's good to hear someone on the other side pouring a little cold water. Yeah, Boone Jenner is a guy, you know, we were into a while back in, in a lot of league formats. He's even viable. Like, even last year he was viable, even though he didn't put up a ton of points, but he gave you all those hits and those shots on goal, so if he could put it all together, it could be a good year for Boone Jenner. It'll be interesting to see what happens over in Columbus. A lot of players, and we know how Tortorella likes to shake things around. I'm, I'm actually very curious to see, after my last episode where we talked with Chris Wassel, he was pointing out that he wonders if Panarin Maybe we'll see a dip. Maybe Tortorella won't be happy with some defensive lapses. I'm curious to see what will happen for sure. And now let's switch to Panarin's old team. And I guess you have guys there who you just, you see a potential on Chicago for someone to do really well, just because someone's going to have to play with Patrick Kane. We assume that Anisimov will still be his center, but I feel like there's a lot of potential guys who could jump in. And I like Alex Debrinkit maybe as the front runner, or maybe enough people have told me about him that that's why I have him in my head. But I, I mean, there's also though Patrick Sharp who they signed. So it would maybe make sense to just go Kane, Anisimov, Sharp, and then like Taves, Brandon Saad, and someone like Richard Panic. So you can't have all these guys who I was going to mention, like Schmaltz or Hartman or Debrinkit. Like they could all just be in the bottom six. But I wonder, do you see any of these young players having potential to just jump into the top six and play with someone like Patrick Kane? I, the potential, yes. I think they all have the skill and the ability. But it would take a, a serious regression from Patrick Sharp or an injury to one of the other players to open up an opportunity for one of these guys to jump in, right? I mean, I think you're looking at a very likely forward projection of Taves with Saad and Panic, probably, and then Anisimov with Kane and, and Sharp. Yeah. Okay, so... But Sharp Sharp could get injured, right? Oh, it's, it's very likely. Or he could take a steep decline. He could just, you know, he could just lose it. Um, yeah, well, he kind of already has. I guess people are excited about him to maybe bounce back now that he's back with his old team where all the great times were had. Maybe, but he's 35. That's pretty old by today's NHL standards. So I don't know, what would you put down as a point projection for Patrick Sharp? I mean... I feel like it's very hard to predict because, first of all, he's probably going to get injured. Playing with Patrick Kane, though, like there's a lot of points to be had just by playing with him. So if he could stay all season with Patrick Kane, let's say if by some miracle Patrick Sharp plays all season with Patrick Kane, I could see him being like a 50-point guy or at least putting up that pace while he's there. But those are, those are a lot of ifs. Yeah. And yeah, valuable in fantasy because he takes a lot of shots on goal. Like Even last year in Dallas when he was hardly putting up any points, he was still taking a ton of shots. Well, if everything goes well for Chicago, these these kids that I'm about to talk to, they'll have to, they'll have to spend the time this season middling on the third and fourth line, or between the NHL and the AHL, um, because I think the top six is is pretty locked with the guys we're talking about. Um, maybe Richard Panic gets bumped down to the third line. Um, he had 40 points last year. Is 40 points enough to play on a top six line in Chicago with with guys like Kane and Anisimov and Taves and Zod? Are you contributing enough with 44 points or 40 points to stay on that line? Or maybe you would be better playing on the third line if a guy like Alex Dabrinkit can make the NHL and put up 60 points. Um, you got Nick Schmaltz, you got Ryan Hartman, and another player who I'm really high on that a lot of your listeners might not have ever heard before is John Hayden. Uh, I think he's a player who's going to have an impact on the Hawks roster this year. He played 12 games with them and a little bit in the playoffs last year too i think he's going to make the roster full-time this year um i think you're probably looking at a, a probable scenario with third line with chicago where john hayden is in the middle or nick schmaltz is the center um so there's two-thirds of your third line and the other guy would be ryan hartman uh put them all down for anywhere between 
30 to 45 points. Uh, the player with the most offensive upside in the bunch, I think, would be Nick Schmaltz at 75 points. Uh, Hartman and Hayden, I think, career projections would be in the 50-point range. I don't think they're ever going to be first-line players. They're looking at second- or third-line guys. But John Hayden comes out of uh, the NCAA. Last year in Yale, he had you know point-a-game production, 34 points in 33 games. As I said, he played 12 games with Chicago, had four points, put up a ton of hits in the limited amount of games that he played. He's a big guy, 6'3", 223 pounds, can skate pretty well. He's got pretty decent hands. There's a lot to like about him. So if you're in a bangers and mash league that's deep, this is a player you'd want to target. He's on his ELC too, so he's a nice cheap option in cap leagues. Mm, yeah, so 44 hits for John Hayden in 12 games, almost four hits a game. So, But you didn't mention Dabrinkit there in that list. Like, What's your projection for him? I guess you're not as high on him as some others? I was hoping I could slip that past you. <laughs> no, I'm I'm really high on Dabrinkit. I mean, this kid's set a record that's held in the, or tied a record that's held in the NHL for like 30 years or something like that, where he scored three 50-goal seasons or more uh, in the OHL. It's ridiculous. Um, and the fact that he's a little player, it doesn't mean anything. He's He's such a good player. He's such a good skater. He's so good at handling the puck that he's not skating over the blue line with his head down the way Eric Lindros did. His head's up all the time. He sees the play so well. He's very elusive. It's hard to get close to him. Sure, in the corner and in front of the net, when he, you know he's fighting for the puck in the corner, he might not be very effective. But when he's on the power play, he's just absolutely deadly. He's got a super quick release. It's deadly accurate. He shoots through screens. He's a really deceptive passer. He's like looking at the net, and then he makes some pass to a guy that no one saw. And, you know, they either tap it in for an empty net goal or make a nice cross-crease pass, and before you know it, it's in the net. When he makes it to the NHL, he's going to have, you know, in the peak of his career, he's going to be a prolific offensive scorer. I'm talking in the 80-point range as a potential high for him. Come on. Yep. Okay. <laughs> but, but I don't know if he's going to make it this year. I mean, what's wrong with playing a year in the AHL, right? Especially when you're an undersized player. He's a prolific offensive player in junior, but it's a tremendous leap going from the CHL to the AHL. And then it's an even bigger leap going into the NHL. So defense in his game has is, is come around. Uh, at first, when he came in the OHL, he was just an offensive guy. The coach didn't put him out when they were you know, defending a lead. They didn't put him out when they were on the PK. They put him out for offensive draws and on the power play and when they needed a goal. But by the end of the career, he was playing every situation, you know, full minutes, as much as the coach could put him out. Uh, he, he's, he's an impactful player. Now, he'll have to translate that into the pro level. And There's been countless number of players who scored 100 points in the CA in their CHL league and haven't been able to find that at the professional level, let alone, you know, the NHL. They just can't do it in, in the in the AHL, let alone the NHL. So Debrink's gotta prove he can do it at the pro level. So I be hard to for me to see him playing the whole season in the NHL, maybe start the season there. Um, so this is what I said about my prediction for Monterey last season was he'll start in the NHL to start the season. It's a little bit soft at the beginning, but then things kind of start to get a little serious. Rookies' minutes kind of, you know, get taken away a little bit. They, they go from playing 12, 14 minutes a game to 8 or 9. Uh, they spend some time serving popcorn in the press box in certain games. Then maybe he ends up going to uh, the World Juniors, uh, plays top minutes there, 
But Debrinket is aged out for that. He can play in the AHL, so they can move him up and down and back and forth as much as they want. Now, I was wrong about Marner last season. He was amazing all season long, and he, his ice time only went up as the season wore on. Um, so I could be a little bit out in left field on Debrinket here. Um, I, I think he's going to play sparingly in the NHL most of the time. Sorry, sparingly in the NHL most of the time playing in the NHL for Rockford. Um, AHL, you mean? Yeah, so I'm getting those confused. <laughs> but he's going to play in the NHL, and I think his upside is tremendous. Maybe not this year, but as soon as next year. Okay, well, I think at some point, Patrick Sharp's going to get injured, and it will be a prime spot for someone to play with Patrick Kane. Maybe the person coming in is not going to put up Panarin numbers, but, you know, Alex Dabrinkit, he scored 65 goals in 63 games last year in the OHL. So he knows how to put the puck in the net. So it'll be really fun to see who takes that spot at different points during the season. Something to keep our eyes on, if not next year, then like you're saying, in the future. Okay, I've got okay one more guy here that maybe could be a rookie of the year. This is one maybe far off the board, but I saw a tweet about him a while back on Florida saying that maybe the second line with Verbata and Trocek, they could be joined with by a guy named Henrik Hapala. So I actually don't really know much about him. He's coming from Europe. He's not as young as some of these other guys we're talking about. But do you know anything about Hapala? Do you see him being a second line guy over in Florida? Like, obviously, we're imagining Barkov, Huberdeau, and then the recently signed Dadanov to be line one. But that still leaves a pretty good spot with Trocek, who's a consistent guy, and Verbata, who takes a lot of shots. I wonder if the other person on the second line could be valuable and if it could be Henrik Hapala. Yeah, so here's the thing with players who are signed, undrafted players signed as a free agent coming over from Europe. They can be hit or miss. You know, Panarin, he's a home run. But there's a laundry list of players who there was like a mad free agent frenzy, the sweepstakes, who's going to sign this European free agent superstar? And then the guy comes over and flames out. So who knows which which side of the equation Henrik Appel is going to be on, but he is coming to the NHL, and he is going to start the season in a top six role. Their GM all but said that. Played last year in Finland Pro League in the Liga. He was the uh, leading scorer in that league. He's only 23 years old. Uh, he came over already this summer and played in the Florida Panthers development camp just after the draft. He was lights out good. He was setting up goals and scoring goals. It's a summer development camp against rookies, so you take that with a grain of salt. But, you know, it's better than he didn't look very good. <laughs> and the GM has all but said he's going to play top six for us this year. So the other player that they brought back from Europe, uh, Evgeny Dadanov, he's a little bit older. He's 28 years old. He's been, you know, lighting it up in the KHL. He had 66 points in 53 games last year. So if I had to pick between the two of them, clearly I'd take Dadanov. Uh, he's got a much higher cap hit, so take that into consideration if you're in a cap league. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Dadanov's going to play top six as well. I put him down for 40 points. And for a projection, I'd put Hapala down for a pretty similar point range, but with a much higher certainty on Dadanov than on Hapala. Hapala could not make the team. Right, yeah. So this is the type of guy who you take with a late round flyer and hope for something good. Maybe there's upside there. Dadanov you want to grab early on in your draft, both because of his pedigree coming from the KHL being a top scorer there, and because, you know, a top line with Barkov and Huberdeau, which seems to be where Dadanov is headed. You can't get much better than that. But wanted to bring Hapala up, one random guy coming in that I heard could be in the top six, like you said, the GM of Florida said. 
I guess that's that's my list. I, uh, there's Joel Erickson Eck, who I like his name, and I've seen him in some list for Calder contention. I don't know if you want to talk about him. Aside from that, I'd be curious to know if you have any other players you think could challenge for the Calder Trophy this year. Um, I think those are our... Uh, I think we covered most of the, the main guys. Um, just a couple players uh, who I think would be worth paying attention to, maybe not drafting, but at least you're putting on your prospect watch list. Defenseman in Philadelphia, Philip Myers. Uh, I think he's a fast rising guy. They signed him as a free agent. He was a training camp invite, walked out with a contract two years ago. He was dominant for Canada at the World Junior Tournament. He was just controlling the play like uh, like a boss uh, until he got injured and missed out on the season. He's turning pro this season, so he'll play this year in the AHL because the Philadelphia Flyers have a, a boatload of defensemen. So he's not going to crack the Flyers roster this year. Uh, but he's a prospect who's on the rise really fast. Another guy in Philadelphia, Oscar Lindblom. He could be potentially a Calder candidate. He's coming over from Europe. He's probably going to be a top six player for Philadelphia by season's end. He's going to be looking at the 30 to 40 point range as a modest projection this year. Uh, a couple guys in Boston who I think you'd want to pay close attention to would be, uh, you mentioned Jacob for basket Carlson. I think he's a lock to make the roster on the third line, probably a 30 points. Uh, he's a good two-way player coming out of college. He's got a 50-point upside. Uh, ahead of him, though, Anders Bjork is a little bit under the radar as far as prospects go. I think he's going to play in a top-six role with Boston this season. Uh, he could be putting up, I'd say, uh, modestly 35 points, and he's got upside closer to 70 points. His major competition on the wing for top-six is probably going to be Frank Vetrano who uh, scored a whole bunch of goals in the AHL, was injured for a little bit of last season, so he only played part of the season in Boston, but looked pretty good while doing it. So those are a couple guys from Boston who I think you're going to want to watch too. Well, so I'd actually love to key on Vetrano quickly since you brought him up. I remember a lot of hype for him when he finally came back after being injured. Do you see him being a guy who could jump into the top six? Like You look at the Boston depth chart, and I see Marshawn, Bergeron, Pasternak for sure, assuming Pasternak signs a contract, and then I guess Krejci and Bacchus make up two-thirds of the second line. Then you got a left-wing spot there for uh, Ryan Spooner or maybe one of these people you just mentioned, but I was kind of assuming it would be Frank Vetrano, who takes a good number of shots. If your league counts shots, he's someone to watch even in the bottom six. Yeah, yeah, I think you know the the top five guys that you mentioned are as long as they're healthy, um, they're all a lock. You know, their contracts kind of demand that they play top six, so that does leave just the one spot. And I think those are the only three real candidates that they have to play that position: um, Spooner, Bjork, and Vetrano. So they'll probably rotate between those guys, and uh, the position will go to. You know, whoever runs with it and doesn't drop the ball. As soon as one of those guys drops the ball, then they'll just go to another guy. Um, I'm not sure how Ryan Spooner fares with uh, with Bruce Cassidy as the coach. I know he was in the doghouse um, before Bruce Cassidy came along. So we'll see if he can get out. Um, I really like Ryan Spooner, though. I've been a fan of his since he played here in Kingston, so I'm kind of cheering for Spooner. Uh, well, hey, the thing with Spooner is he got a lot of power play time, so there was always the temptation to pick him up at least for a spot start for me, just because you knew if you needed a power play point, there was a decent chance he could give you one, but we'll see if he could get in the top six. That seems to be hard for him so far. Now, Frank is coming up, it might be a little harder, and hey, I'd love it if a guy named Carlson, Jacob Ford's backup Carlson, if he could become fantasy impactful and we could talk about him on the podcast, all the better. Okay, so 
I'll try to just really quickly ask you about a couple of guys who I think could have second-year breakouts, so not rookies. And I brought up Jesse Pugliarvi before. He played 28 games, so technically he won't be a rookie next year. But, I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is going to be his first year in the league, given, hopefully, a major role. Do you see a shot for him playing line one with McDavid? Pretty much the goal. Like, we were talking about who's going to play with Patrick Kane as being one of the golden spots in the league. But I think you don't get any better than playing on line one in Edmonton with Connor McDavid. Is there a chance for Jesse Pugliarvi to get there? That seems to be the, the caveat with every Edmonton forward. If he could play with Connor McDavid, if he plays with McDavid, if this guy lines up with Connor McDavid, you know this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you what's his upside if he plays with McDavid because it's a silly <laughs> question. It's of course astronomical, right? <laughs> Patrick Maroon was very fantasy relevant for stretches last year playing with Connor McDavid, and I don't see him as an offensive dynamo. So I'm, I'm asking you more a slightly different question. I'm asking what are the chances that Puliyarvi gets to play with Connor McDavid? Though I guess first it would be nice for him just to make the team and play big or somewhat decent minutes. Here's a fun story. I was at the NHL draft in Buffalo when he was when he was picked, and I was listening to uh, Pete Chiarelli do a little media scrum after the first round. And uh, one of the reporters asked him, "So is Jesse Pugliarvi going to be the Yari Curry to Connor McDavid's Wayne Gretzky?" And Chiarelli couldn't keep the smile off his face. <laughs> it was it was pretty funny. I mean, he just he just started grinning like the Cheshire Cat or the cat that ate the canary, and he's like, "There's some similarities there for sure." So, you know, Pugliari didn't make the team for the most part last year. He played majority of the season in the AHL, but he was projected to go third overall or second overall. It was pretty clear that Austin Matthews was going number one to Toronto, but then it came down to the two fins. By the time the draft rolled around, it seemed pretty clear that it was Patrick Laine. So when he went fourth overall, it was a real surprise. Uh, and Edmonton really lucked out. I think they got, I think they got the better player, to be honest. I, I love his upside. Uh, his his game is is he's good all round player and I the question with McDavid is can you keep up with him you know, what do you bring to his line so guys like Lucic and, and Maroon it's pretty obvious what what they bring they're gonna bang in some rebounds and whatnot but for the most part they're there to police him so the other roster spot is can you keep up with him not only with your foot speed but the way he thinks the game I mean, he, he that's the problem with playing with elite players like that is they think the game at such a higher, faster, further ahead level than the majority of the people in the world. Uh, so if you can process the game the way they process it, then you're going to play with them. And that's why guys like Gretzky and Curry and Hall and Oates find great chemistry because they think the game at the same elite pace. Uh, so it remains to be seen if Pugliarvi can do that because he hasn't really had a lot to play there. But a player you might want to look at as a, as a big risk or not really a risk, but a high reward option would be uh, Anton Slepyshev, Russian prospect, played in the AHL a little bit last year, and he played 41 games in Edmonton, posted 10 points. But uh, this kid has got he's got the speed and he's got the skills, and I think he's got a a dark horse candidate possibility to play with McDavid. Here you go. If he plays with McDavid, of course. he'll be he'll be awesome. But he hasn't even he... gotten to Ryan Strom and uh, all the other guys yeah. who are potentially going to yeah. play with him. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, this will be the year he plays with McDavid. Yeah, even if Slebyshev doesn't play with McDavid, he's still going to play on the Oilers this year. So, you know, the risk isn't that high. It's not like he's going to play in the KHL on here. Yeah, I remember there was some buzz around Slepyshev last year 
during the preseason and then nothing really panned out. But yeah, it'll be fun to see with Edmonton. And just in the last episode, we talked about prospects with, with Cam. He brought up Kyler Yamamoto, who was drafted this year. And he said he's another guy who's going to have huge upside one day. So Edmonton could be really interesting. But, you know, only two players could play with McDavid at a time, unfortunately. Though playing with Leon Dreisaitl might not be so bad. They did bring in UC Jokinen. So there will be some competition there. It'll be fun to see how that shakes out. But Puliyarvi obviously is the big name there, as you might be able to get him late, and he could have a lot of offensive upside depending where he slots in in the lineup. Uh, okay, I'm going to steal a little bit of content from another podcast right now. I hope that's okay. The PDO cast, I think it's a really good show, hosted by Dmitry Filipovich. And I was listening to an episode recently, and someone asked who's going to be next year's Victor Arvidsson. And two names that they brought up, which I'd love to get your thoughts on, were Timo Meyer and Arturi Lekkonen on San Jose and Montreal. So with Meyer, I know we talked about last year how he was taking a really good number of shots. He didn't seem to be scoring a lot of goals, but he was shooting well. And now with Marlowe gone, there are some openings on San Jose. Second-year guy, do you see Timo Meyer as someone who could have a huge breakout? I love. I have a soft spot for the players who take a lot of shots. I'll admit it. Yeah, I think it's Timo time in San Jose. I've been ranking him pretty high and, and holding him in high esteem for a long time. A uh, little disappointed with his six points in 34 games last year, but you know, 23 points in 33 AHL games is pretty solid. Uh, where he fits in on the depth chart, I think, is in a top six role this year uh, with the loss of Marlowe. Uh, really opens the door as well as on the power play. So I think he's going to get top six in first unit power play time. What that translates to points-wise, probably 35 to 40 points. Yeah, maybe he could be a sort of Boone Jenner replacement. I mean, I guess he's not as big of a hitter. He was averaging around two hits a game last year, but 85 shots in 34 games. To me, that jumps out as someone who could be primed for a breakout. Also, he only had 12 and a half minutes overall last year, so if he could get more ice time, potentially get on that line with Thornton and Pavelski, or even on the Couture line wouldn't be so bad. That top power play would be amazing if he could take Marlowe's spot there. So he's someone... I'm going to be watching it now after hearing that conversation on PDOcast. Anyways, I guess he's my front runner of all of these young San Jose guys who I think could make the jump next year. And then, you know, I hear a lot from Habs fans. I have some Habs friends, and some of our patrons are Habs fans. You hear a lot from them. And Arturi Lekkonen, last year, near the end of the year, he was making a bit of an impact, and it does seem like there could be an opening in Montreal's top six. You know, we've been going through a lot of teams' depth charts. But if you look at Montreal, let's say line one is Galchenyuk, Pacioretty, and Gallagher, and then Druin on line two with, I don't even know, the center situation in Montreal is not great. So maybe Phil Dano or Thomas Placanic. And then, you know, left wing, why not? Arturi Lekkonen. And he's someone who also shoots pretty well. And if he gets a decent spot, I'd be curious to know what you think about him. What's his upside for next year? He's a player I'm not as familiar with as some of the other guys we've been talking about. But um, I think there's certainly an opportunity in the top six in Montreal. It's... It's a little thin in spots. Uh, you know, I like Galchenyuk and Duran um, as your probably top offensive players. Uh, Pacioretty and Pocanic are, are probably in there as well. Alex Hemsky, I've got zero confidence in him other than uh, full confidence in his ability to get injured. Of course. Um, yeah. Uh, Andrew Shaw, I think, is a third-line player. Brendan Gallagher, I think, is probably got, a, a, I would say, a better opportunity to have a breakout season than Arturi Lekkonen. Um, I like Brendan Gallagher to maybe not duplicate what Brian Marchand did to that extent as last year, but um, to really improve over the 29 points he had last season. You know, 30 points is is barely fantasy relevant, so I think he's going to be pushing uh, 50 points this year. Uh, I'd put Lekkonen close to the 40-point range. 
Yeah, I think 40 points is probably the reasonable projection, but I see sleeper value there. Uh, in the Dauber Guide, actually, they pointed out that Lechner had 14 points in his last 16 games, including the playoffs last year. So take that for what it's worth. I guess that's a pretty small sample size. All right, so I could just keep going. I've got a whole, obviously, I've got a whole slew of players. Brian's been gone for a long time. So I'm just, you know, I got players building and building and building, and I'm trying to ask about as many as I can. But you've been so generous with your time, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. For everyone listening, if you enjoyed listening to this conversation with Peter, you could hear him on the Dauber Prospects Radio podcast. They come out with episodes all throughout the summer. Like you said, it's actually your busy time during the summer talking about prospects. So you could follow them at, at DPR Show. You search on iTunes or wherever for Dauber Prospects Radio. I'm sure you'll find them. Also, you could follow Peter at Peter Harling. Anything else I should shoot out there for you, Peter, that people should be looking at? Um, make sure you go to Dauber Hockey and uh, purchase the Fantasy Report and the Prospect Guide. You can get them both in the Ultimate Fantasy Package and save yourself a whole bunch of money. In fact, saving money because it'll make you win your fantasy pool so you're not really spending money you're winning money yeah exactly it's an investment of course (laughs) all right and for everyone listening to keeping carlson obviously we really appreciate that if you enjoyed the show give us a five-star review on itunes while you're there throw a five-star review to peter in the dpr dauber prospects radio show as well but yeah that really helps us out i don't mention it enough but that's a really good way to help a podcast that you like i want to get up to you know on itunes i don't know peter how these people are getting there on the new and noteworthy list i maybe our podcast is too late to be on new and noteworthy but i feel like dauber prospects radio can get there i feel like it comes down to these reviews but no one knows it's a black box over there in itunes yeah, we're a year in now, so I don't know if that still qualifies as is new. Ah, hmm. Well, we could be noteworthy. Yes, we certainly are. I'd hope so. We're, we're on Fantrax Radio now, too, so, I mean, that's big time. Yeah, we're big time, but not big time enough, so give us those five-star reviews on iTunes if you don't mind. <laughs> and yes, co- please. And since I'm in the shilling mood, I will just very quickly mention that you could check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you're interested in potentially supporting the podcast, becoming a patron of the podcast. Signups are open for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. You could go back a couple episodes where Brian and I talked all about it before he went on vacation. And Brian will be back. Actually, early next week, we'll be doing a live show, so I'll tweet out the information soon. Or if you're a patron, I'll mention it in the Facebook group about how you can join us. But with that, I'm going to cue that outro music. Thanks so much again for joining, Peter. And I guess I was about to say we'll talk to you next week, but that's what I say to Brian. I'll talk to you on Twitter maybe in a few minutes. So thank you again for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, I Come on anytime you guys need it. Amazing. Thanks so much. And yeah, we'll have to uh, keep track of all your projections here. And then at the end of the year, maybe go through it and actually hold you accountable. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again. Have a good night. You too. Thanks. Bye.